grab your Bibles, and let's go ahead and go into chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have your Bibles, get your cell phones, get your handouts, something. We're going to be going through this, and we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 11. And there are some amazing truths in these 11 verses that we're going to discover today. And I'm excited because I believe it's going to be life-changing, it's going to be inspiring, and it's really going to probably kick your butt a little bit. And here's how I know why. Because God, for the last few weeks, has been really speaking to me about a subject and a topic, and uh, basically has been just telling me, hey, you know, you, you need to look into this again and kind of see what, what needs to change there. And so I've been um, working through some stuff. I've been repenting through some stuff. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to share what God has been doing in my life. And since I know that it was tough for me, or a good, good kick in the butt and I needed it, it, it will be the same for you. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You guys ready for this? It's, it's great, right? You want to you have that at church. You want to have someone tell you, like, this is what it's going to be all about. But it's going to be great. I promise it's going to be a good message. And I believe God's going to speak. So Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, and we just ask that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would move us closer to you, and that you would just do something that only you can do tonight. Holy Spirit, I declare my dependence upon you. And I ask that you would speak through me tonight. I ask that you would remove me from behind this pulpit. And that you would speak that my words will be your words. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So I want to pose a question just right from the beginning, and it's the question that we're going to be answering, but I'm not going to answer this question right away. We're going to ask the question. I want you guys to take a wild guess, write something in, and then we'll answer it about halfway through. And the question that I have for you guys tonight that we want to look at is this. What is the one thing that we can't do in heaven? Now think about this for a moment. What is the one thing that you can't do in heaven? And just whatever pops in your head, whatever you think about, just write it down, write a couple of things. Maybe you can come up with like five or six. Just write it down, what it is that you think we can't do in heaven. And then later on, through those 11 verses, we're going to answer that specific question. I want to start actually by reading you a quote, because this quote, I came across it a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was so good in regards to our diving into the word, or better, the lack of us reading the word. And here's the quote, and this was in Newsweek. So the quote goes as follows. If Christians truly want to treat the New Testament as the foundation of the religion, and obviously that's what we do, they have to know it. Too many of them seem to read John Grisham novels with greater care than they apply to the book they consider to be the most important document in the world. And you can kind of rephrase this and say, you know what, it's really anything. We, we put more value and invest more time into video games, into any kind of, you know, movies, into, into books, whatever it is, into our iPads. We, we invest more time into that than in actuality into this word that we call the foundation of our faith and our lives. Would you guys agree with that? And I think it should be different. I think we should make this the primary cornerstone of our faith and of our life because Jesus, that's who he is. And, and I think we need to go back to that. So tonight, as we look into this, can we, for the next 30 minutes, make this the most important thing in our lives? And we're going to treat it like that, and we're going to dive in, and we're going to learn, and we're going to let the Word of God challenge us tonight. Amen? I want to start, actually, in chapter 4, and reading you two verses to set this whole thing up a little bit as we go into the next 11 verses. And we're going to pick it up here where Pastor Tommy uh, left us off in verse 43. But he said, Jesus, that is, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Now, I have two follow-up questions for you. What is the good news? <laughs> this is kind of scaring me right now. 
Okay, we, we got a couple of, but no, nobody's like confident in giving me an answer. Okay. I like that. It actually says it right there. What, what is the good news? I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news is preaching on the kingdom of God. So there it is right there. Second question, what's the reason Jesus came to earth? To save us. Okay, that's good. And that's one part. And I totally agree. And there's, there's multiple reasons. But there's one very clear in the scripture right here. It says this. To preach the good news. So he came to preach, which is really interesting. I want you guys to think about this because in here, this is something that we're going to come back to. Uh, so write this down. He came to preach the kingdom of God. And, and obviously, yes, he came to save us from our sins, but he also came to preach the kingdom of God. He also came to raise up 12 disciples. So there's multiple purposes of Jesus coming, and all of them are really important. They go together. <clears throat> in verse 44, it says this. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, underline the word synagogue because... What we have to understand here is that he was preaching in churches, just kind of what I'm doing right now. He's preaching to a congregation of Christians in churches. And what we're about to see here is the scenery change in Jesus' ministry where he actually starts preaching open air. And open air means you're preaching kind of on the streets and you're going out there. And this is what we're about to see. This is the first time Jesus preaching open air, and we're about to see this. Now, Judea, let me just show you where we are, just so, so you are familiar with this. We're obviously still in Israel. I think we all knew that. But we're in Israel, and we're in Judea right about here. So this is where Jesus is at, and then in the next verse, we read this, and if you put it up on the board for me, it says this in chapter 5, verse 1, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, where is that lake? Anybody know? Well, let's put a map on there real quick. Can you guys see the lake anywhere on there? Yeah, me neither. So what's up with that? That's good, but that's not it. But, but we can see that. Now, here's the deal. That lake is also known as the Sea of Galilee, which the Sea of Galilee is right up there, so it's actually the same word. And so we are not down here anymore. We're now up there. So just, you know, this is obviously not just the next day. There's a couple of days in between because they had to travel from here to there. So we're now there, and then we're going to keep on reading here the next verse, if you can put it up there for me. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, what's happening here? You got Jesus preaching the word, and people are actually excited and listening, which is pretty cool. It's like a novelty in America. You know, people coming to church and being excited about the word. It's like a novelty in 5979. If I look at you guys right now, you're not really interested and excited about this. But it would be really cool if you guys were all excited, and you were like, man, I can't wait for P.S. to bring the word tonight. I can't wait to hear what God has to say, because he's going to speak to me. He's going to change my life. But we don't, we, don't, we don't come to church like that, do we? We really don't. Well, it's, it's just church, man. It's what we do. Yeah, but if we were really excited. See, what's happening right here is you have Jesus, and you have Jesus preaching at the, the Sea of Galilee, and he is, he's standing right there, and the sea is behind him, and you got all these people, and they're all excited. They're all leaning in. They're listening to what he's saying, and they're crowding in on him. In other words, they're kind of going so close that it's like, hey, you're invading my personal space, and you're pushing me up in the sea. That's what's happening right there. They're crowding in on him. Because they want to hear God, and they want to hear Jesus speak about the kingdom of God so badly. So Jesus does the only logical thing, which is actually brilliant, and we'll read this here in, in a second in verse 2. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And again, now you want to underline fishermen because we're going to come back to this. And so what is he doing? He's thinking, hey, I can jump into one of these boats, and that's exactly what he's about to do here in just a second. And we read this in the next verse. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little 
from shore. Now here we meet Simon, who is obviously one of the future 12 disciples, and you meet him here as Simon. Later on, Luke introduced him as Simon Peter, and then later on in the gospel, and really in all the epistles, he's known as Peter or Cephas, not, not, um, not Simon anymore. And that's very normal because he was raised in Galilee, so he was bilingual, and so they had different names. It was just a very common kind of thing. And then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat, which is awesome. You know, it took preachers in America and around the world only 2,000 years to figure this one out. See, what we see right here is that it was very customary for a teacher to sit down when they were teaching. And so Jesus gets in the boat, he sits down, and he talks. I don't know whether you've noticed the change in America and in the way that people preach, but over the last 10, 20 years, people started to go get away from pulpits and actually sit down and preach. So, you know, it only took us 2,000 years to figure this one out. I think we could have gotten this a little bit sooner. But anyway, it's just, you know, it's just an interesting thing here. And it was cool. As Jesus was teaching, his voice would have been amplified because of the position that he was in. So people would be able to really hear him. So again, it was a brilliant move. Now he was teaching and he was talking in the boat. What was Peter doing? Now he wasn't fishing, but it's a good guess. He was what? Trying to keep the boat still. That's a good one, yeah which probably helped with him sitting down because it wouldn't, it would be, yeah, that, that, that's actually a good point. So what, what was he doing, though? There you go. He was washing the nets. You can see this in verse 2. He probably took the fishing nets with him and, and cleaned them because every fisherman knows you have to clean the nets after you go fishing because you've got some stuff in it. You don't have just fish in it. You have other things in it as well, and you need to clean it. So he was sitting there cleaning while Jesus was talking, but he was still listening. Now, again, Jesus is going open air here. So this is the one where he's out of the synagogue. He's preaching open air. And again, it means somebody going out in the streets, going out in the schools, going out in the stadiums, going out anywhere and preach the gospel, not just in here, but out there. See, if you have a call, if you think you have a call in the ministry, you should start preaching outside of the church before you go inside the church. And if you can't preach outside, you probably shouldn't preach inside. See, my first, I, I may have preached in the church sermon-wise, my first actual sermon, but I've done some street preaching. And actually, street preaching is terrifying and so much fun at the same time. But you should try it sometime. It will definitely make you pray. If you don't have a prayer life, that will do it for you right there. I mean, you will start praying on the spot because it is scary when you have a microphone right there and you start preaching people walking by. I mean, it is. And then you never know what's going to happen, whether they're going to throw something at you or just yell at you or just listen to you. It's really interesting. But anyway, and there's this guy, and I love what John Wesley said about air, you know, open-air preaching. He said this, I love commodious rooms, a soft cushion, and a handsome pulpit, but field preaching saves souls. I think we've gotten away from the streets a little too much these days, and I think we've gotten too much into the church because everything is about the church, and, and you know, you guys are the church. The building is not the church. You guys are the church, and the church is supposed to be out there in the streets and doing something about it. We're supposed to be... Maybe even doing some open-air preaching like Jesus. And then he said this in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he, Jesus, said to Simon, put, into, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this is really funny because Jesus is not a fisherman by trade, is he? He's a carpenter, exactly. So you have a fisherman giving a carpenter, I mean, like a carpenter giving a fisherman advice, which, you know, they probably don't know anything. And again, Jesus really, it was, it was a funny advice that he was giving him because everybody knows fishing is better at night. And as we can read here in a second, they have fished all night and they didn't catch anything. And so you got this here in verse 5. Simon answered, Master, 
And the word master here is, is, is just an expression of anyone in authority would kind of use that Greek word here. Master, we've worked hard all night. So he's given him an honor and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. That is crazy. What would make him say that? He's saying, hey, we haven't caught anything all night, <laughs> but because you say so. He doesn't even know the guy. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Why, why would he do that? Very good point. Yeah. I think you nailed it right there. I think one of the things is that he was listening to Jesus, and he realized, man, the guy has some authority, and apparently he knows what he's talking about, and he's like, man, you know what? I'm going to obey him even though I don't know him, which is pretty cool. So he's definitely honoring him and doing that. And then it says this. As he was obeying, as Peter was obeying, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. That is an awful lot of fish, right? I mean, have you ever seen that many fish in the net that it was breaking? And so here's what Peter did, very smart. So he signaled their partners on the boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now that is a crazy amount of fish. I put a picture up there just in case you can't picture this, and this is really not a good one, but better than nothing. I mean, you have this boat, and it's full of fish, and it's sinking. I wish I could have seen Peter's face. You got Peter who hasn't caught anything all night. Jesus tells him, hey, go out and fish. And then he drops down his nets and he pulls it in. He's got this huge amount of fish, probably the greatest catch he's ever had in his entire life. Both boats are fully full and they're about to sink. I mean, that will make you think of who is this guy in my boat, right? I mean, I would think, I'm like, who is this guy anyway? I mean, what is he doing here? Which is exactly what's happening. When Simon Peter saw this, Again, now Luke adds Peter here. He saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And the word Lord here in the Greek can, can imply as, as little as sir, but most of the times the word Lord is used. It's really in regards to deity. So it's almost like he's going from master, someone on authority, to like, You are Lord. And he's got this realization of, I'm in, the, I'm, in the, I'm in the presence of greatness. I'm in the presence of someone that is so much greater, so much bigger than me, and I feel... I'm, I'm a sinful man. Young people, this is where you guys all should have been at one point in your life, and I'm not quite sure that's actually the case for all of us. Well, we came into the presence of Jesus, and we realized, man, he's so much greater. He's so much bigger, and I'm a sinful man. I'm wretched. I'm wicked. I, I do not deserve. I cannot make it on my own to go into heaven. Go away from me. And some of you guys, you've never had that. You've prayed the prayer. You've made the, hey, I'm raising my hand. But you've never had that, man, on my own, I can't do nothing. I am, I am wicked. I'm bad. And I need Jesus in my life. And that's really the truth, isn't it? So Peter, he totally realized that he was a sinner. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. We will learn more about them in the next few chapters. Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, I love this, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch man. Now, I mean, this is brilliant. He's taking the natural, he's a fisher to say, no, forget this. You're not going to be a fisher anymore. You're going to be a fisher of man. You're going to follow my footsteps. You're going to do exactly what I do. And I love this because I put this on the, on the board there for you. Peter was a fisherman who caught healthy fish to kill. Now he would be a fisher of men who would catch spiritually dead men and bring them back to life. It's funny what the Bible sometimes has in it. Well, you have this fisher man who is, who's killing fish for a living, and he's catching them and then killing them. And now Jesus is saying, no, let's, let's turn this around. 
you're going to catch dead people and make them come alive again with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, how cool is that, right? You can see these things in the gospel that if you just look for it, there's so much stuff in it, and, and reading the Bible becomes so, so great. So Peter has been given a task, be a fisher of man. You know what, Gabby? That same task that Peter has, you have it as well. Jake, you know what? The, the same task that he has, Peter, God has given you the same task to be a fisher of man and of women. Isn't that great? Some people always ask me, hey, what's my purpose? I don't know my purpose. It's so easy. We're supposed to be fishers of man. I mean, there's more to it than that, but that's, that's basically what Jesus is calling us to do. Is he not saying, hey, go in and, and preach the gospel, make disciples? That's fishers of man. That's what we're called to do. If you don't know what else to do in life, I mean, that's a good starting point, amen? You just go and start to be fisher of man. The truth is, most of us, that's not something that we really do, and that's not something that we're really good at at all. Charles Spurgeon said this, and he's a, princer, uh, he's a, he's a preacher that um, was called the, the Prince of Preachers, incredible uh, uh, preacher. Have you no wish for others to be saved? And he was kind of radical, and you will see here why I say this. Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. In other words, if you don't have any heart for the people around you, you are not saved. Seriously. Do we have a heart for the people around us? Do we care about where they go, whether they go to heaven or hell? When you go to school, when you, when you, when you run around and, and doing grocery stuff, whatever it is that you're doing, when you're playing video games with your friends and they're not saved, do you really care about their soul or do you just care about having a good time? Because if, I mean, we know the right answer. We always say, yeah, no, no, well, no, we, we believe. I mean, yeah, that, that's the, you know, yes. And, and I would too, but the truth is, you know, our, our actions speak a lot louder than our words. Yeah, we, we believe it's important to get people and, and we should have a heart for it, but most of us don't. Which brings me back to our question. What is the one thing that we can't do in heaven? And you have a lot of things that you may have, and then some of you guys may have said sin and, and all these different things, but I think the one thing that we can't do in heaven is this. You can't witness to an unsaved person because they're all going to be saved. And think about it for a moment. Right now, this is the only time, the only shot you got. Once you're dead, it's over. No more jewel to around. That's done. Right now is your one-time shot that you have to witness to people. And you know what? Everybody around you that's breathing, they need Jesus. And I got a newsflash for you guys. You know what? Everybody's going to die. Did you know that? 100% of people die. It's pretty cool, right? Not really. But 100% of people go to one place or the other. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to be making sure that I take as many people with me as I can into heaven. And I want to make sure that we do that. So what's the one thing that we can't do in heaven? We can't witness to people anymore. And I think that's something that we should be thinking about. Speaking of witnessing, why? I mean, what happens when we witness? I think there's basically three things that happen when you actually share your faith with someone in your class. And here are the three options, the three responses that people will give you when you actually witness to someone. The first one is this. Option number one, the person, and you were far ahead of me, the person accepts Jesus Christ. You share the gospel, they accept Jesus. That's definitely a win, right? I mean, that's awesome. The second option is there's a seed planet. Which is great. That's a win, too. And then the third option is they reject the message, which obviously is kind of a loss. Correct? Are you guys with me on that? I mean, that's like the basic response. Everything else kind of falls into this category of, okay, they're going to get, they're going to accept Jesus, they're gonna, we're going to plant a seed, and then they're going to reject the message. That's 66%. That's a 66% chance of you 
doing well. That's better than the lottery any day, right? I mean, that's pretty good, 66%. You witness to someone, you have a 66% chance of a win. Why are we not doing it more? Why are we not witnessing? And I think one of the reasons is, could it be that the reason most people do not share their faith is because they do not have faith themselves? Could that be the reason? Could it be that we claim to have faith, but we really don't? Could it be that we're just lying to ourselves? I don't know, I think it's a good question to ask. Well, let's go back through those three questions. Obviously, number one is totally normal. You know, the person that accepts Jesus, we get this. We understand that. But what does it mean to plant a seed? Well, I think Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He says this, I planted, Paul's saying this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And I love what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, you know what? I'm the one that planted something. Apollos is the one that watered. And by the way, it's not our job to get any outcome. This is God's job. God will give the increase. But we are supposed to plant and we're supposed to water. The harvest eventually is the one that God does that. So the question then is, is Paul saying that, that planting and harvesting is equally important? Are you guys with me on that? Because see, see, most of us, we always want to harvest. We want to we see people come to Christ. And planting a seed is not that much fun, right? But here's the thing, guys. No one is going to get a harvest without someone planting a seed. If nobody plants a seed, no one is going to see a harvest. And I think some of us, we just, we feel like, no, why would I plant a seed? Well, you know what? The average person does not come to know Jesus till about 7.6 times of communication with them about the gospel. I know it's statistics. So seven or eight times. They have to be talked to seven or eight times before they actually make a decision. And, and of course, there's some that will never make a decision. Who are you to know as you're talking with them about Jesus? Whether you're number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, or number seven, where you're actually harvesting. Maybe you're just planting a seed. But planting a seed is just as important as getting someone to come to know Jesus because sometimes it takes more than one person to plant a seed and just to kind of water it. Does that make sense? Ultimately, it's God the one that does it all. So would you guys go out and witness if I were to tell you I will pay you $100 for each person that you witness to, no matter how many people you witness to, that day, that week, this year. Every time you witness them and tell them, hey, are you going to heaven or hell? Because that's the way that you do it. And you talk to them about five minutes, $100. Next person, five minutes, $100. Next person, five minutes, $100. Every single time, I'll give you $100 as you witness. You can make $1,000 in like a couple of hours. You can make $10,000 a week without no, no problem whatsoever. This could be your only job. How many of you guys would take me up on that and say, I would do that in a heartbeat? No, no problem. I mean, that's some good money. You are not going to make that good money probably working another job. <laughs> Definitely not at McDonald's. You know what's weird about this, though? We would do it for the money, but we don't do it for nothing. Because God has already commanded us to do that, yet we don't do it. But if I were to give you $100, man, you would do it, and so would I. I mean, I would be at QT all day long, be like, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. Yeah, $100. I mean, like, we all would do it. There's something wrong with that. In other words, we care more about money than we care about souls. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow right there. But it's truth for all of us. Charles Spurgeon said this about sinners. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let none of them go unwarned or unprayed for. 
That guy was radical. I mean, that's like, oof, that hurts. Let's make it hurt a little bit more. Let me give you guys a poll real quick, and this is going to hit home because I know it did for me as I was thinking through this. Poll, when was the last time you witnessed to someone? Was it last week? Was it a month ago? Was it six months ago? Or was it a year ago? Or was it even like, man, I can't even remember the last time I did that. You don't have to answer it. Just think about it in your heart. For most of us, we're on the bottom part of that. Because we don't talk to people about Jesus. Because we are afraid. We don't want to be rejected. And what are they going to think of us? And maybe we don't even really realize how important it is, the message that we have. And so we just, we just don't do it. And I was on the airplane coming, driving, I mean, flying back here. And again, I told you that God has been really kind of kicking me on this. And, and I was on the airplane. I was sitting there on the aisle, and my wife was in the middle. And there was this guy on the outside. And, um, and you know, we just kind of sat down. We came in late because we had an hour and a half delay. So we were kind of out there, the last four people to board. And so we walked in. We sat down. We didn't really talk to the guy. But um, we started, you know, doing our thing. I started reading my Bible, and Pam was doing her thing and just doing some stuff. And, and I was reading my Bible. As I was reading my Bible, I feel like the Holy Spirit saying to me, hey, you got to talk to that guy. And, you know, I do what every one of you guys would do. You, you start debating with God about this is not a good idea right now because, you know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible and this is just not a good time. I mean, you know, I'm reading the Word. That's way more important, right? So I'm, I'm reading my Word and I'm, I'm kind of having this whole conversation. I'm like, okay, God, I, I know I have to. I, I feel it and I know I just, I mean, I haven't even, I don't know the guy's name. I haven't even talked to him. What am I going to do? And it's funny how God does stuff sometimes, isn't it? I mean, you have these, all these excuses that you will come up with. And, I mean, I kid you not, I, I think about it a minute later, maybe less than that, the guy turns over and be like, hey, what time is it? <laughs> well, it's time for us to talk. Now, that's not what I said, but, you know, like, <laughs> I, I told him it was, you know, what the time was. And then he was like, hey, my name is John. And I was like, hey, I'm Stefan. So we started talking. Coming to find out that, um, you know, he was on his way to Atlanta because he was going to a funeral. And then I found out it was his sister's funeral. And I found out that the funeral was, you know, like it was because of, you know, she obviously died. And it was either a homicide or a suicide. And the guy could barely keep, like, you know, he was like, man, I'm, I'm really holding it in. So we had a chance to talk for about 20 minutes, and I just shared a couple of things. And he was apparently a Catholic Christian, and I just prayed with him on the flight there, and PM and I talked with him, and, and, and that was our moment of sharing the gospel with him. You never know who you're sitting next to. And we always think, man, they never want to hear it. You, you don't know, but you have someone living inside of you that does know, and he knows exactly what's in the other heart of the person next to you, which is so cool. I mean, he knows exactly what they're thinking, what they're going through, and he will give you exactly what to say in the right moment, and it will be awesome and powerful. Now, let me um, get back to the whole option number three, because this thing is kind of bugging me. So we have a win, a win, and a loss. They accept Jesus, it's a win. They if see this plan, it's a win, but if they reject it, it's loss. Well, is it really a loss? Let me, let me jump ahead a little bit, and let's go into Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. And it says this, and I want you guys to read this, and I think we're going to come up with a different scenario here. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Are you seeing this? He's saying, hey, by the way, you are blessed if they hate you. You are blessed if they exclude you. You are blessed if they reject you. And by the way, there's a reward for you in heaven. Every single time that happens. It's like ka-ching every single time someone rejects me. I get a reward in heaven. Reject me some more, right? No, no, that's not, that's probably not what we want. But, I mean, you get a reward every single time. We're supposed to rejoice. So, in other words, if we put this back into our three options, if you share the gospel and they reject you, you get a reward. In other words, you win. So, if we go back to those things, that you have a win, a win, and a win. 
Now it would be stupid not to witness. We have a 100% chance of getting reward every single time we witness. Okay, I'm preaching way better than you guys are shouting me down. I mean, seriously, that is like, that's good, right? Yeah. What does that mean for you guys? That means that when can we lose? Never. Well, we lose when we don't do it. Because we lose out on the reward. I mean, how exciting is that? You share your faith, and you know in heaven there's a reward. I don't know about you, but when you look at it from that perspective, it helps me to say, you know what, not just as Jesus commanded, not just as he encouraged us to know, now I, I, I see it and I, I want to do it because I get a reward every single time. Here's the bottom line of my sermon, guys, and leaders, this is specifically put for us in our terms, but it also applies obviously to everyone. We need to reach students, and you need to reach students with the truth before Satan reaches them with a lie. There's a lot of lies out there. And unless we come out with the truth and we speak on it and we love them and we tell them about Jesus, he's going to reach them with a lie. And once that lie is planted, it's really hard. But it's harder for the truth to come in. Man, it's your job. Just like Peter's calling. You are called to be fishers of men and you have an incredible job and an incredible opportunity. Verse 11, let's close it out. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's crazy. You have like these fishermen, they had, apparently they had a business, you know, they had this all worked out. They were doing maybe good, maybe not, who knows. But because of Jesus talking with them and them seeing one miraculous catch, they said, hey, forget this. We're following this guy because he is it. Have you made that decision? Have you really made that decision, students? Will you say, you know what, I'm not just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to leave my media behind. I'm going to leave my iPad behind. I'm going to leave my friends behind. I'm going to go after Jesus because I want to be a fisher of man. That's a question I think that we should consider tonight, and I believe God is calling us to do that, to be fishers of man. Now, I beg you not to take the sermon and say, ah, oh, that was cute. I beg you to take this and say, you know what? God, work in my heart, and if there's something that I need to finish and need to change, then, then, then I want to do that. I want to leave everything. I want to close by reading you a poem called My Friend. And it kind of drills the point home, I think, that we're trying to make tonight. And I believe that's what God is speaking to us tonight. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walk with you day in by day, but never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell me his great story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me close to him. Though we lived together on earth, you've never told me of the second birth. And now I stand here condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things that's true. I called you friend and I trusted you. But now I learn when it's too late, you could have saved me from this fiery fate. We walked and talked by dawn and night, and yet you showed me not his light. You let me live and love and die. You, you knew I never live on high. And yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to the end, I cannot call you now my friend. Young people, we have friends out there that need Jesus. And I'm not talking go out there and go in their face and say you're going to hell. That's not the point of the message. <laughs> the point is that you go out there and you reach them with the love of Christ. And when they have questions, you answer them. When stuff like eternity comes up, you ask a question. Hey, what do you think about it? Where are we going to go? I mean, what's going to happen when we die? I mean, it's a question we actually have to process. And actually, next week, I want to teach you how to kind of witness a little bit because I feel like this is what God is leading us to as a youth ministry because that's 
wealthy God is drawing me back into. But I, I want to encourage you guys and challenge you guys, let's make sure if our friends decide to go to hell, we will do whatever it takes, and they will have to go over our dead bodies to get there. Does that make sense to you guys? Because I believe God is calling you, just as he called Peter and everybody else in the disciples, to be fishers of man. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would come, that as we process this and kind of think about it, that you would do something in our hearts. I'm going to ask the leaders to come forward, and they're going to join me up here. And if you have any urgent prayer requests in a moment, you want to pray about the altar call that I'm about to give you here in a second, you can come there, and you guys can start the music. But I want to ask you guys, I'm going to put some peer pressure on you, which I think sometimes peer pressure is a good thing. I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor. I want all of us here at 5979 this week to commit that we're going to go back to where we live, back to where we live life in the schools and the, the surrounding areas that we have, and we're going to commit to witness to one person this week, just one, and just share Jesus with them. Could be a two-minute conversation, could be a 30-minute conversation, and just see what God will do if all of us do it. And I believe if we do, I think a lot of us are going to come back next week and we're going to have some incredible testimonies. And then as we go into our small groups next week, we're going to talk about those things. So if you say, you know what, P.S., I'll be with you. I'm committing to this. I'm going to, I mean, it could just be you handing out a track, just something to get yourself out there because this is what we're called to do. We push man. If that's you and you're saying, hey, I'm committing to that, I'm going to do that, and I think it should be everybody, why don't you go ahead and stand, and I'm going to pray over you. And I know, peer pressure, yay. It's the one thing that peer pressure is good. Again, this is our calling anyway. We're supposed to do this, and, and I believe God's going to honor it. And I'm going to pray that God will give you boldness, and he's going to give you the right words at the right moment, and that's going to be a great experience. Heavenly Father, I pray for those of us standing. I pray that you would give us the boldness, that you make us brave, Father, as we walk out there, that you give us the right timing. And God, as we pray every morning, maybe even, God, give me a divine appointment, that you would give us the divine appointment, that you would teach us what to say, that you would lead us, and God, that we would make a difference as we plant a seed, or maybe even as we harvest. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.